0: I can't quite tell if my health insurance is working for me or if I'm working for it. My health care is confusing, frustrating, expensive, time-consuming. It's a lot of work. Jumping through healthcare care hoops is my most consistent workout these days. But I learned a secret about my health care and about yours that we can use to save 35% to 75%. If enough of us join in. I'm Bill Shireman, disrupting the dividers. So how's your health? And how's your health care? I'm getting ready to make some changes in mine, and I wonder if you might want to join me. I've been a part of Kaiser, the HMO, since I was a kid. It cost a dollar, though there were some downsides. My dad got a prescription from one doctor that conflicted with a prescription from another doctor, and when he took them together, they killed him within minutes of his taking the prescription. We didn't take any action because I knew Kaiser's statistics pretty good, so this must have just been an anomaly. Then we had another unfortunate incident. My mom was diagnosed with cancer, but it was the wrong cancer that they diagnosed, and the wrong cancer surgery that they carried out. That weakened her and led the real cancer to spread. And that killed her. Now, this time I thought about a lawsuit. But again, I figured, hey, mistakes happen. Their record is pretty good. So with the death of our parents, my brother and sister and I moved to the front of the line in the family lineage. Years before, I'd taken some Pretty significant falls rollerblading and skiing, and those were coming back in the form of excruciating pain in my left hip. So I had it replaced. But unfortunately, my new hip didn't work. My hip replacement had somehow not taken hold. So then we did revision surgery. The operation went well, they sent me home, and then a couple days later, I got the call it was a staph infection. I could simply begin to take double doses of antibiotics for a while. My doctor said that if I stopped taking the antibiotics, there was about a 60% chance, he figured, that that staph infection would come roaring back, and by the time it was discovered, it would be too late. That went on for three years, with monthly blood tests overseen by a doctor whose job seemed to be to make sure I didn't sue them. It was during this time that I realized that we were all being managed to death. Now, Kaiser is burdened with decades of gradually encroaching bureaucracy, there's no doubt. But I'm pretty sure that they are not the primary problem. The problem is that the system is incompetent. It's structured to manage us to death. So I talked to my friend Sean Flynn. He's a professor of economics at Scripps College in Claremont and one of the world's top authorities on national healthcare systems. And I finally began to understand what's wrong with our healthcare system. He said it really comes down to two things. Number one, there's no competition because there are no prices in our system. We almost never know what the cost of any service is. And the second problem, he says, is because of third-party payments, we encourage massive overuse and misallocation and misuse of resources. Basically, because we pay monthly premiums, and then our HMO, a third party, pays for all of our healthcare as we go, with the exception of those copays, which by the way, have gone up from a $1 dollar to 120 dollars for us at Kaiser, it feels to us like our medical care is largely free. So instead of making smart choices about the health care that we receive, we kind of grab what's available. And as we discover what's available and what's our right, Kaiser and the other HMOs create impediments for us so that we don't get as much of that stuff. So we have a massively wasteful system. Now, who gets this right? Well, according to Sean, Singapore. Singapore, in his opinion, has the world's best national health care system. They also have the world's healthiest population, according to Bloomberg, and the world's best health outcomes. They are the only country in the world in the top five on rates of infant mortality, maternal mortality, and life expectancy. Their doctors are trained in top medical schools. Nearly all of them are board certified in the U.S. Their healthcare quality is world class. And what do they spend for it? 4.7% of their GDP. That compares with 10 to 12% for the single-payer healthcare systems in most countries and to 18% here in the United States. So how do they do it? And can we do it too? Here's what they do. First, they have a dual system that is both public and private. They began with the remnants of a British style national health service. Under that system, all inpatient care was in a hospital, public hospitals, and was offered largely free. Outpatient care was all by private doctors who posted their prices so people could shop around. So, culturally, the Singaporeans got used to both socialized hospital care paid for by the government, from their taxes, and privatized daily outpatient care that they paid for out-of-pocket. The government noticed that when people got free prescription medications from the hospitals, they didn't take them. But when they paid for their prescriptions with local doctors, they did take them. Free services just weren't valued. But when people paid, even just a little, they made a mental commitment that this is something they're going to use. By 1985, they were ready to establish a universal health care system. And they built it on a principle that no matter the procedure, people should always pay something. They instituted a mandatory 50-cent charge for all prescription medications. They expanded private outpatient care to include some inpatient care so people could choose between public hospitals and private ones. And they instituted a three-part national health care system that I think is kind of brilliant. The first part is called MetaSave, It's health savings accounts. They required that every worker set aside 6% of their annual income in a health savings account that they own. The government guaranteed at least a 4% annual return to the savings in the health savings account. And once people had $50,000 in that account, they no longer needed to make those payments. Those health savings accounts enabled people to pay for all of their regular health care. But what about catastrophic health care needs? When something comes along that can wipe that $50,000 out in a snap? For that, they established the second part of their system, MetaShield. This is their catastrophic healthcare system. The family premium for MediShield is $2,000 a year, which people pay for individually out of their health savings account. That system, $2,000 a year premiums, was enough to provide the funding for almost all the serious medical complications that Singaporeans faced. It worked well except for a few rare cases where, for example, young kids. Faced rare diseases and families were unable to care for them. And they needed special help that the local clinics and hospitals couldn't provide. For that, Singapore established the third leg of their system, MetaFund. If people run through their health savings accounts and fully tap their MetaShield, the government has established a $4 billion trust fund that operates on the interest it earns every year, which is distributed as grants to hospitals who compete with one another to provide those special services that families need in dire health circumstances. Now, it turns out that only about 0.6% of the country's health care costs are in this category. But the result of adding this element is that even these rare and often experimental medical procedures are covered under the Singapore Plan. Now, so much money has accumulated in Metasave accounts held by people that they could run the entire healthcare system in Singapore for four years just on what's already been saved. America's health savings account system could run our system for 13 days. So how does Singapore keep their costs down? Well, their public hospitals are required to publish mortality, morbidity, and complication rates for their top 400 procedures. And even the public hospitals compete for business with each other. They all post their prices for everything. Because Singapore publishes prices, their medical sector has systematically developed innovations that reduce the costs of high-quality care. Every form of surgery is at least 62% cheaper in Singapore than it is in the U.S. An open-heart surgery that costs $130,000 in the U.S., costs just $18,000 in Singapore. Yet the doctors are all educated in top schools. Furthermore, because the doctors and nurses don't have to spend so much time on complex paperwork and bureaucracy and unnecessary referrals and on and on and on, Singaporeans get all the medical services they need using fewer doctors and nurses per capita. So, could we adopt Singapore's system here in the U.S.? Well, some companies and states are already beginning to. Back in 2002, John Mackey, the founder and then the owner of Whole Foods, worked out a deal with the company's unionized workforce where every employee gets a health savings account. The company pays the annual deductible of $1,875. The employees own that $1,875 a year. They use it to pay the first $1,875 of their health care needs that year and then insurance covers the rest. But employees rarely actually need to spend all that money, so the money stays with them. Healthcare costs overall are reduced 35%. And because the company is paying that $18.75 up front for the employees, their cost savings is about 12% overall. Now, the first critique is, well, don't people avoid making necessary medical procedures because they want to save the money? Well, no, that turns out not to be the case. People don't cut out preventative care or necessary procedures. They cut brand-name drug purchases, they stop going to the emergency room for non-emergency care, and they stop getting expensive procedures they don't need. Now, the state of Indiana has tried something similar. When Mitch Daniels was governor there, they established a system where state employees and Medicaid recipients each get a health savings account. The state pays in the first monies. State employees get $2,850. Medicaid recipients get $1,100. They then pay the first $1,000 or so of medical needs, and the rest goes to insurance. Healthcare spending in those two sectors is dropped 35%. So again, my question is, could we do this federally in the U.S.? Well, we know the two core principles that make the Singapore system work so well for so little. Principle number one is make sure we know the price of each health care procedure. And number two, make sure that we, the individuals, keep the savings when we save money on health care. Those are the core two principles that we need to follow if we're going to establish universal health care that gives us high-quality care at a price we can afford. But it may be that efficiency, the low cost of a high-quality health care system, that is the biggest barrier to its adoption. Because the one industry that would be hit hardest by real reform is the political industry, the industry of power brokers who work between the insurance companies, the hospitals, the doctors, the nurses' unions, the pharmaceutical companies, all the interest groups, and they take a cut from each one of them. Obamacare was a product of that political power brokerage industry. It was designed and managed to generate profits for the existing set of health care providers in their existing form. If we want a healthcare system that's among the best in the world, we need to work together. We need to replace the power brokers with the people. How do we do that? Well, here's one idea. Last year, Stanford University and Helena Foundation joined forces to present America in one room. This was a convening online of 962 representative Americans. They met for 10 hours exploring and understanding our climate issues. And in the course of those 10 hours, this random representative sample of the nation came forward with solutions that more than 70% of them could agree on across partisan boundaries. We plugged those solutions into MIT's climate data and found that if the nation were actually to adopt what the people together chose, we could keep our temperature gain between one and a half and two degrees Celsius, the level most scientists say we need to meet to avoid the worst consequences of climate change. It turns out that when we talk to each other, Americans are pretty good at solving our own problems. So I propose we do an America in one room for health care, that we gather another thousand randomly selected Americans representing the nation as a whole, and we find the solutions that we think will work based on hearing the facts, talking with each other, and identifying what we agree on. And after that is the fun part. We need a few of us in every congressional district across the country, but particularly in swing primaries and swing general elections, to make it clear to the candidates and lawmakers that we're selecting from that the price of our votes is their support for healthcare solutions that work. That is the Achilles heel of the political power brokerage industry. And once we take that action, we can get our country back, our democracy back, our prosperity back, our healthcare back, our environment back. It doesn't take much, only awareness and the understanding that this will work if we simply do it. And that is not BS, but I am.